Hi everyone! Welcome back to another episode of Can't Take It With You. So far, we've discussed foundation grant-making models and the emergence of mutual aid in the COVID-19 era. But what happens when those two worlds collide? That's the topic of today's episode. I got in touch with the leaders of the Minnesota-based nonprofit that's working to raise money for their new COVID-19 mutual aid fund. The organization is called Women for Political Change, and they often refer to themselves as WFPC. We are Women for Political Change. We are a uh, nonprofit based in Minneapolis, or we're technically just based in the Twin Cities, but we are statewide um, throughout Minnesota. And our mission is that we holistically invest in the leadership and political power of young women and trans and non-binary folks under the age of 30. Um, And we began as a student group in 2015. And uh, most of our original student group founders went on to co-found our nonprofit organization in 2018. I'm Felicia Philibert. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the Education and Advocacy Director of Women for Political Change. I'm Anna Mendoza-Packham, she, her pronouns, and I'm the Development Director for WFPC. I'm Sonia Nakalescu. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the Political Action Director of Women for Political Change. Their decision to launch a mutual aid fund was pretty spontaneous. Yeah, I mean, it really, like, randomly kind of started like Anna in our group chat was like hey we should maybe do a mutual aid fund I don't even know it was just so random and then we were all like yeah and I don't think we realized how much work we were about to like get ourselves into but it has honestly been like so rewarding and like an incredible journey like in our organization that was just so unexpected and I think Anna can maybe talk a little bit more about the logistics of all that. Um, yeah, so yeah, it was <laughs> really random. We just one day decided like, oh, we should do this. And then, yeah, like Sonia said, we were not ready for how much work this was going to be, but definitely a hundred percent worth it. Um, I think the first thing we kind of did before we even launched it, and this is something that like, I just really wanted to get out of the way to kind of um, make sure we had the operational side done was we created um, our policy sheet. Like what is, what are the true logistics of this going to be? Because when you're as an organization start giving money to individuals, like there's all kinds of like intricacies and legal stuff. And I did not want to get hit with any kind of lawsuit because we're not lawyers, right? We're not experts in that legal system. And so we really wanted to have something set Um, We also decided that we were going to only give money to our base, right? So young women, trans, non-binary people under the age of 30 within the state of Minnesota. Um, And we did that because it's a really unfortunate reality that we can't help everybody, but it's also the the truth, right? And one thing that like, I think mutual aid really focuses on the concept of mutual aid is taking care of your own people, right? Like taking care of your community and our community is one for political change are women, trans, non-binary people under the age of 30 within the state of Minnesota. Um, And so then within that, we also decided to prioritize um, different identities. So um, BIPOC folks, LGBTQIA, sick or disabled, um, unemployed, undocumented um, and parents. Um, And even within that, though, we were really careful to not prioritize one struggle over another, right? Because like I 
as a third party could not possibly decide whether a like white disabled person or a black single parent, like who struggles worse? I can't, I cannot make that moral call, right? Like that is not up to me. And so we kind of made it more um, formulaic in nature, whereas if you have, you know, out of like the six categories, if you have like four or five of them, then you're put on priority wait list. If you only have a couple, then you're put on regular wait list. But we also really want to give money to everybody. Like we don't want to just give money to people who we think need it most. Like we trust people's judgment that they need this money and so they're applying and we really want to give it to them. And so unless you're, you know, out of Minnesota uh, over the age of 30 or like a cis dude, you're going to get the money eventually, right? It just kind of shifts the timeline as to when you're going to get it. Um, And so thus far we have given money to over a hundred people I can't remember the exact number. Fell or Sonia definitely do. I do not. Um, and then in terms of individual donations only, we've raised almost $20,000. You mentioned, you know, it's you obviously can't judge who deserves what more. But if you could say, like, maybe what the most surprising thing or maybe the most difficult thing about running this fund has been. Yeah. I mean, I can start out I see all the emails coming in you know that are connected to our info account of people like both on one hand like being so happy and excited that they got the aid like when we give them that notice that like hey like you're getting this money like people are sending these messages back like oh my god you don't know how much this means to me and the fact is we're literally giving people two hundred dollars like it's not that much money so it like really shows like how like in need people are to like buy their groceries or like get their medicine so like people are like so grateful and happy which is like really heartwarming but then on the other hand like every time that it feels like we catch up we get slammed with another wave of requests, um, especially at the very beginning when it was hard to raise money. Like we really like went over a hump of raising a ton of money like last week, but like we've literally had like 50 people on our wait list and like we couldn't tell people like when they were going to get the money and like people were kept on emailing us like, I really need the money now. Like when are you guys going to like get, have the money? And it's like, it's hard. It's like what Anna was saying, like we can't help everyone what made it even more difficult, which maybe segueing into stuff you wanted to talk about was like the fact that we are doing this and we are a nonprofit organization, an inherently political organization, like not only are there limited mutual aid funds, but like in Minnesota specifically, but the, the funds that exist are like very different than us. Like, you know, a lot of, and especially when we have been talking with funders, a lot of people are very surprised that we're doing this. Um, because it's really not like a typical thing that like your C3, C4 nonprofit, like political organization would be doing. So being able to explain like why this is important, but also like what Anna was saying, this really shows like our values are very like anti-capitalist, very like there's a lot of tension operating mutual aid within the nonprofit industrial complex, um, which has also been interesting to navigate. Even as a global crisis shut down the world, WFPC felt it was weirdly kind of a great opportunity to apply for funding. Every funder under the sun, you know, in March or April announced that they're going to be releasing emergency funding in response to COVID. And 
this money is unrestricted. It can go towards things like staff costs. It can go towards, you know, like direct aid. Um, and that was the first time that we had ever seen something like that happen. Like, oh, we can now apply to all these foundations um, that we weren't otherwise going to be able to because of this pandemic, because we're doing this work. Um, and it felt like a little bit like kind of like Candyland almost, like for nonprofits, like it kind of weird. Um, because like they now are like, oh, like we're in a crisis and we're gonna, we're gonna give all these organizations money, right? Because they're serving the most vulnerable populations. So when you're applying for grants, um, they are usually program oriented. Um, and so covering different program costs. So that kind of like specific grant that's used for specific programs, that's called restricted funding, right? Which means that you can't use it for anything else. It has to be used for that program. Sometimes those program funds count staff costs as a program cost. Sometimes they don't, which is inherently problematic because how are you supposed to run a program without people? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? It's like problem number one. The other type of grant is like called a general operating grant, um, which is pretty much unrestricted funding um, that you can use for anything. So you could use it for a program or you could use it for staff costs. You could use it for your rent. You can kind of use it for um, whatever. Um, lots of different foundations also um, have a really kind of what Sonia was touching on, like a really mm, like stringent application process. Um, and moreover, a lot of foundations, you can't just like apply, you need to be invited to apply, right? Which kind of like adds this other level of inaccessibility. Um, because as young people, as you know, young women of color, or young queer people, like we don't necessarily have like the same access to these people or these relationships, um, that other kind of like corporate or more like mega nonprofits do and because we're so new right like we officially became a nonprofit in 2018 we just don't have these connections with people yet um and so one of the reasons why we were so excited about a lot of this emergency funding was that it really opened the door for us to start to create these relationships with funders that normally are invitation only that we would never well not never um in you know, more recent future, we probably wouldn't have an immediate relationship with. You know, all of these, all these applications for emergency money, a big, a big piece of what they were hitting on was we want to, we want to fund organizations that are addressing the economic impact of COVID, which we were like, oh my God, we're obviously doing, like, that's literally our whole project. But, you know, as we have, you know, matured over this month's long process um, and are starting to receive rejections from some foundations, even though our application was really good, you know, we, we feel confident in that, like, we just know that, like, some of these foundations are just not going to want to fund us because what we're doing is so radical. So, yeah, that's just, like, a bummer. And, you know, at first, I feel like it was a little naive for us to assume that we would get all of these emergency response grants. Uh, but we were hoping for the best. And it seemed because these app applications were less restrictive than uh, other grants we've applied for before that, you know, wow, maybe funders are seeing that the community is doing this work and that we're doing what we need to make sure folks have the resources to meet their basic needs. Um, but 
just not recognized by some people. Uh, and that's something that we have to get used to yeah. as a political organization and as an organization doing more radical work to redistribute wealth. Mm-hmm. Foundation funding was a dead end for Women for Political Change's mutual aid fund. Instead, their leadership is choosing a different path forward. I will say that I think, yes, we are shifting. And I think that is something really cool about this whole process that has kind of opened our eyes a little bit. I mean, and given us confidence, really, because I mean, obviously, we still struggle with imposter syndrome. Why I I'm speaking for everyone. Maybe I'll speak for myself. But, you know, we are a new nonprofit. We're all young. You know, this wasn't built for us. But we, you know, have always said that we want to get to a place where we are fully sustained by individual donors. We don't want to have to apply for grants for various reasons. But we haven't been able to get there because, you know, that's raising hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, by yourself is hard. Um, so we frankly applied for a lot of these grants because we didn't think we could raise the money ourselves um, for the COVID emergency stuff with the mutual aid fund, like last month. Um, and yeah, I mentioned like we started getting a ton of requests. It felt really overwhelming. We applied for all this money. We didn't get some of it. But on the other hand, we raised $20,000 from individual donors into our mutual aid fund, which we literally did not think we could do, um, quite frankly. And that, you know, that made the losing the grants hit a little less. Um, obviously, you know, we applied for things like staff costs and stuff too, but like, it's not like we were like, oh my God, we literally have no money. Like we were able to raise, we, like, I remember that day that we raised like $7,000 in one day or something. And like, we literally granted requests to like dozens of people and we're like sending payments and like we we're all like this is like a high that like we're riding <laughs> like paying so many people in a row like we've never been able to do this um so I think and then yeah that now we're also you know trying to raise money for our organization we have this whole other fundraising campaign going on with WFPC and Bloom where we're trying to raise sustaining donations for our organization because you know we we raise a lot of money for mutual aid. We're still trying to raise money for mutual aid, but then also we need to start raising money for our staff costs. Um, so I don't know. I think this gave us a lot more confidence and like we are like doing shit, you know? <laughs> when it comes to giving, it seems that the sustainability and strategy of foundational grant making are at odds with the radical generosity of mutual aid. So what can we do as individual donors? How do we make sense of it all? That's next on the final episode of Can't Take It With You.